This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger, and good morning to you and good morning world as we come your way with our weekly visit on Saturday morning to talk about, well, agriculture, food production, and all of the other goods that come from the world of agriculture here in the United States and around the world. And we're Always delighted to have you with us here on this Saturday morning. We have the opportunity to visit with some interesting people. We look at markets, and uh, markets are always interesting and challenging with trade situations that we get involved in. So we'll talk about all of that this morning here on the Saturday Morning Show. Also, we're going to uh, check markets and uh, what could be happening with some of the reports that are due to come out. And uh, Bryce Knorr of Farm Futures Magazine will join us a little bit later in the show. Max will not be with us this morning because he has spent the week in Louisville, Kentucky at the National Farm Machinery Show, which incidentally comes to an end this evening with the championship tractor-pulling competition at the Kentucky State Fair grounds in louisville and in addition to that show of course um, out west california the world agricultural expo that's a major show in california it ran three days this week in tulare so a lot going on and we're going to be talking about it this morning but uh, the thing that we're going to do during the first half of the show this morning is visit with the nation's four outstanding young farmers that were named from a final list of 10 state outstanding young farmers in Bettendorf, Iowa, last week. And uh, I've emceed that show for a few times, but I couldn't imagine because when they uh, put the script together for me, they pointed out that uh, last Saturday was my 53rd year of serving as Master of Ceremonies for the Outstanding Young Farmer program 53 years made a lot of friends and a lot of them were there during the event last weekend so uh, stand by we're going to talk to the first two of the four national outstanding young farmers when we continue here on the saturday morning show the first of the four national outstanding young farmers of 2019 from the state of illinois Derek and Renee Martin. And since farming is a family affair, I'm going to start with you, Renee, and let's talk about the family. We have two boys, Dean and Reed. Dean's 10 and Reed is 8. Um, they, they like to do things like Cub Scouts and sports, and so we're very active outside with hunting, fishing, camping. And what's your involvement in the farming operation? Well, Derek has gotten me involved with the biologicals now, so I help make that on the farm. Uh, I also try to keep 
our uh, employees fed and happy, organized, <laughs> and appreciated. Derek, how did the two of you meet? Actually, uh, Renee and I, we both grew up in Mount Pulaski. Uh, School-wise, I'm just a year older than Renee. Uh, kind of had, I mean, we were both in sports, and we had the similar friends, and I went on to graduate U of I. Um, she went to Parkland and graduated in dental hygiene. So we went to high school together. We were in Champaign, Illinois mm -hmm. together. And it was not until 2004, 2005, we're out of college three or four years, we finally decided, you know, let's talk to each other. And uh, <laughs> You connected. We connected. Yeah. Yes. And well, got married in uh, 2006. And tell me about the farming operation. So uh, Renee and I farm uh, about 3,200 acres. That's our share. Uh, we farm with my brother Doug and sister-in-law Aaron. Um, they have the, about the same amount of acres, so we're kind of individual farms, but we share machinery and labor. Uh, we also farm with our dad, Jeff Martin. He was kind of the the one that gave us the opportunity to be down here. Uh, after college, from the graduating from the University of Illinois, I worked in uh, managed grain elevators for about 10 years with Buggy North America and, and Elkhart Grain Company, and dad decided to retire. Or ease out of that in about 2013 and so he asked Renee and I if we wanted to take over part of the family farm operation and uh, so it was kind of an apprentice for him and mom in 2013. 2014 Renee and I rented our first farm um, and now we sit here going into 2019 fully invested have our own acres and uh, going with it. Final question would you advise your sons to go into farming? That's the number one reason <laughs> that we jumped on the opportunity when my dad offered it to us. We love agriculture, we love what it's about, what it stands for, and growing up on a farm, I classified it as a once in a lifetime opportunity. And to have that opportunity to raise our children in that situation, we jumped right on it. And the goal behind what we do on our farm our number one goal is obviously, you know, you want to be profitable and successful, but our number one goal is to be able to make that farm sustainable so that we can have the opportunity to offer that to our children. Derek and Renee Martin, outstanding young farmers from Illinois. Next we meet 2019 National Outstanding Young Farmer winners from the state of Maryland, Ben and Kate Sowers. And Kate, I'm going to start with you because <laughs> farming fine. is family, and so let's talk about family first of all. Well, we have four kids, Samuel, Jeremiah, Elijah, and Ruth. Uh, they keep us pretty active with 4-H activities, sports. We try and kind of let them do, have the opportunity to do whatever they want to do. So they like helping us out on the farm, and we get to work with Ben's parents, and his sister and brother-in-law, and we just love that we get to work with the family every day. I hear that from so many farmers. And yep. uh, so, Ben, talk to me about uh, the farming operation in Maryland. So um, we started in, well, my parents started in 1981. I graduated high school in 80, no, 98, 98. Um, we started the creamery in 2001 as a means to... Um, uh, get better margins on our milk. Um, that has grown to 10,000 home delivery customers. You do 10,000 every week? Every Well, the average customer orders every other week. So okay. we make 5,000 a week. We have 10,000 customers. 
Um, they get milk, yogurt, ice cream, meats that we raise, and we we uh, buy produce and stuff from 250 other farmers to home deliver, and that's in Baltimore, Washington, and then we do farmer's markets. We uh, allow the public to come on the farm. We have 50,000 visitors a year. They come out and feed the calves and watch the cows being milked, and we farm 3,000 acres, uh, 1,500. About half of that goes to commodity market corn, soybeans. The other half goes to feeding all the cattle. We have 150 head of beef cattle. We have 18,000 uh, free-range hens. Um, they supply the eggs for the creamery. How big a workforce do you have? We have 85 employees. 85. So you're fa- providing... Fa- family members. They, That's we could, family. No, they're like family. I mean, you, yeah. we couldn't do it without them. Yeah. And they're they're amazing. They They should be up here getting this award. So you're not only feeding people in your part of the world, but you're providing employment for a while. Yes, sir. What do you want to be doing 10 years from now, do you think? I can't imagine doing anything better than what we're doing today. Um, I just want to continue continue putting out a high-quality product and and su- supporting all those families and, and my family growing up and being on my on the farm and my sister, my brother-in-law, and their two kids. And I just, far, I don't know what else I'd do. It's family. I, yes, it's a family. Well, congratulations to Ben and Kate Sowers from the state of Maryland. We meet our next National Young Farmer of 2019 from the state of North Carolina. This is Brandon and Jessica Batten. Congratulations, and before we talk about farming or ranching or whatever you do, let's talk about family because that's involved in the farm today. Tell me about it. Well, we have one three-year-old son named Camden, and we're expecting twin girls in a few weeks, so we're pretty excited about that. You made this trip before a couple of weeks, new arrivals? Uh-huh. It's our, my last trip for a while. So. <laughs> She's a trooper. <laughs> I would think so. What is your involvement, if any, in the farming operation? Well, I always support my husband, and we discuss a lot of things and brainstorm about some ideas and troubles that he has. So, Does he make you go and pick up parts? Sometimes. <laughs> Not too often. Not too often, okay. And when she picks up parts, what machinery are we talking about? What do you do in the farm? Um, we, we grow fluke-cured tobacco. We grow corn, soybeans, wheat. Uh, hay and beef cattle. Um, we farm about 870-ish acres um, in eastern North Carolina. Uh, I farm with my dad and uncle. Um, we're a family-owned corporation. I'm the third generation in our farm, um, in our operation, and we uh, we use a lot of no-till conservation practices just to try to improve our soils um, because we have very you know varied climate. We have very often drought you know at any given time we're 10 days from a drought on our soils so we have to be very conscientious of uh, residue management and water management as well there was a lot of news about hurricanes hitting north carolina did yes they sir involve you? we uh, we started too wet in the spring and then we got too dry for about 45 days with no rain and then it started raining again and culminated with hurricane florence in 2018 we received about 20 inches of rain in a weekend and um lost 
over half of our tobacco crop and a good portion of our soybeans, but that, that just comes with the territory of living along Hurricane Alley on the East Coast. So we're going to do the best we can to move on and make 19 a little better. Well, let's hope the hurricane season is over for five or ten years for you folks. Yes, because sir. Because I know you've had a lot of it. So where does your tobacco go? So most of our tobacco is actually grown for export. We mm-hmm. sell to one processor uh, leaf dealer and one strictly leaf dealer. Um, I would say between 80 and 90 percent of our tobacco from our farm is exported um, primarily to China. So in the current you know, situation with the trade wars and the tariffs, uh, China isn't buying any U.S. tobacco. So that's been another challenge we've had to deal with on top of the weather of um, depressed markets and, and possibly even contract reductions for 2019 because of the, the demand. Final question, what would you like to be doing 10 years from now? <sighs> 10 years from now, I'd like to be farming. Uh, I'd like to have a, a little more security for my family and hopefully be able to involve them more in the operation. Um, I would like to be able to tell the story of our farm and, and how the American farmer, even though we're very diverse, we're all, we're all in the same boat together, wh- whatever you grow or produce, wherever in the country, because um, that's really one of the huge assets of living in, in America is the abundant and affordable food supply that that we enjoy. And I think the American farmer is often underappreciated for that. Keep preaching that message. Our thanks and congratulations to Brandon and Jessica Batten, North Carolina, Outstanding Young Farmers. Our fourth National Outstanding Young Farmer of 2019 from the state of Iowa. Ben and Susan Albright. And Susan, I'll start with you because farming is family. And so let's talk about family and your involvement. Well, we have three kids, um, an eight-year-old Aiden, a four-year-old daughter Myla, and then a little boy named Teddy, who's two. I stay at home with them and do the bookkeeping for, for the farm and Ben's seed business. I was in banking for eight years before that, and then when Ben um, inquired the seed business in our local community, I I decided to stay home. Or he he we both talked about it, and staying home was the best choice for our family. So, so Ben, you married the banker. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish she had that much pull, but yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, she was a banker when I met her, but she uh, she was for a while. Talk to me about the farming operation, and where are you located in Iowa? I'm located in uh, western Iowa, a little town called Lytton on Highway 20. Um, I farm with my dad and my brother. So uh, over the years, you know, we've grown cattle and uh, corn and soybeans and a uh, little bit of hay. We've gotten into cover crops the last few years, and uh, it's really been a good uh, fit for our operation. Does all of the crop you grow get fed to livestock on your farm? Yeah, for the most part, uh, all our corn has been fed to our cattle for uh, ever since this year. This is the first year we actually sold a little corn. You know, we've, we've uh, had we're blessed with very good yields this year, and uh, we've had a few more acres over the years. So this year we actually sold a little corn, but for the most part, we've only been a, a user of corn. And were you in the seed corn business also? Uh, yes, yes, I am in the seed corn business. I, you know, I did a few internships uh, throughout my college career. And then uh, a few years ago, I was approached by Pioneer to take over the local Pioneer dealership. And after some discussion with my dad and my brother and um, my wife, obviously, um, we uh, 
made the decision to get into Pioneer, and uh, it's been a great decision, and uh, I haven't looked back. So you've enjoyed that in addition to farming? Oh, it's it's been a great addition. I, I love helping farmers, and uh, I, I've always had a passion for the seed industry and plots and learning about genetics and, and high yields and things like that. So uh, it's just been a blessing, and I've, I've met a lot of good people. I have a lot of great customers, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So final question, what do you want to be doing 10 years from now? <laughs> Maybe Susan should answer, answer <laughs> that's, this. That's all you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 10 years from now, um, I want to be, uh, at, at this point in time, I'd, I'd like to be somewhere warm in, in February, and I, uh, rather not be in Iowa, but, um, you know, I hope to uh, have, a, have a new house, and um, 10 years from now, I'll be watching my, getting ready for my son to graduate, you know, I'd be a senior in high school, um, and, you know, just uh, enjoying life, and, um, you know, we've been blessed, and we are blessed, and I, I hope we can continue to be blessed, and uh, this this uh, OFA thing has is, is really uh, been a blessing to us, and uh, can't stress that enough. I was going to say, you have joined a very exclusive club, Oh, and you'll never have to stay in a hotel room again because you'll have friends all over the country. We hope so. We have made a lot of friends. Congratulations to Ben and Susan Albright, Outstanding Young Farmers 2019 from the state of Iowa. Today marks the start of a very important week to thousands of people, including yours truly here in the United States. It's the beginning of National FFA Week, a week-long tradition which began in 1948. A group of young farmers founded the FFA in 1928 in Kansas City, and that organization has been influencing generations that agriculture is more than planting and harvesting. It involves science, business, and a whole lot more. And many of you listening this morning are products of the FFA and also 4-H, and I say those are the two greatest Uh, teaching organizations for young people, whether they're in agriculture or not, here in the United States. But FFA, back in 1948, when this all started, and today, the next generation of leaders who will change the world are members of the FFA, the top school-based youth leadership development in the nation, FFA continues to help young people rise up to meet new agricultural challenges by helping members develop their unique talents and explore their interests in a broad range of career pathways. FFA members are future leaders, are future food suppliers, are future innovators, and so much more. So 670,000 active FFA members will be involved in talking about FFA and its contribution to the food industry in the United States. And as I said, many of us are products of the FFA. And to those FFA advisors, we used to call them bow agriculture teachers, vocational agriculture teachers, but now they're also FFA advisors. And hats off to people who choose that as a career because you have the ability, and it happens a great deal, to change the lives of young people. 
And I can say that from experience, because in the small high school in Wisconsin, 96 students at Ontario High School, I was a member of the FFA. Didn't do very well in my supervised project work, uh, raising dairy cattle and uh, hogs, but my BOAG teacher, my FFA advisor, said, you know, maybe you should concentrate on voice communication and he entered me in the uh, ffa public speaking contest and i was lucky enough by my senior year to be one of the five state finalists in the ffa speaking contest in wisconsin i came in fourth out of five in that but it led me to the career that i've enjoyed since 1952 broadcasting and talking about agriculture. So to all of the current FFA members, I hope you'll spend some time this week talking to people about what FFA is all about and what you do, and share also the opportunity with young people who have not yet reached an age for FFA and encourage them to take advantage of all of the programs involving FFA. So take a moment and enjoy the week, National FFA Week. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Tribune Radio Networks with 19 minutes before 6 o'clock here on this Saturday morning. And we're going to talk markets with Bryce Knorr when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. We welcome back Bryce Knorr of Farm Futures Magazine to talk markets with us this week as we get closer to planting time. And the question, of course, is how many acres of corn, how many acres of soybeans? What's your latest projection? Well, we put out a uh, survey the first week of January. Actually, our second survey of planting intention showed farmers wanted to plant 90.3 million acres of corn, uh, 84.6 million acres of soybeans. Those uh, were, that was less corn and more soybeans than some in the industry are thinking of. Of course, uh, farmer planting intentions, I think, are going to vary widely uh, depending on uh, what day of the week it is, what the markets are doing, and what the weather is doing. Uh, So many acres are in play due to the slow application of fall fertilizer. A lot of field work did not get done. Uh, so that gives people the ability to switch, and then some people just may not be able to plant all the early corn they want to. They may be forced to uh, move more ground to soybeans. So as we approach planting time, can last-minute decisions be made, or does the fertilizer program and crop protection programs have a big impact on how late you can make a change? Well, uh, from what we've heard, a lot of people still haven't made that fertilizer choice yet. Uh, the the dealers are uh, they've been slow to buy inventory, slow to restock. Everybody's kind of waiting, and certainly the cold, wet weather that we're having uh, at the uh, end of winter uh, isn't uh, getting anybody in the mood to go out there and start spinning wheels much. Although they are starting to plant uh, uh, corn down in the coastal bend area of Texas. Although in other parts of Texas, they're still trying to harvest last year's cotton crop. So it's going to be one of those years. And we do hear there are soybeans still being harvested in the Midwest. Right. And that was that was one reason why 
uh, I thought that soybean production would be down when USDA finally uh, reported it because farmers had been telling us that uh, there were so many acres still out in the field. Uh, so it didn't surprise me that they lowered their estimate of production. And that number could come down when, those, when they, farmers see what their losses actually were. How challenging was the government shutdown to people like you who need those numbers regularly to come up with some answers? Well, it didn't give us much to talk about, but it it did give me time to do a lot of extra research uh, because we weren't writing about the uh, USDA uh, report numbers, and we basically sat on our thumbs for over a month. So I did have some time to do some some extra research. Uh, One of the projects I looked at was just uh, volatility in uh, both our uh, corn and soybean markets, and it's been declining steadily now since the 2012 drought, and we've had six years in a, in a row of above normal for both crops, the first time that's ever happened in soybeans, only happened twice in corn, and the markets have kind of gotten into this attitude where they don't think we could have a bad crop. So that's that's the time when you have to take, take a look at maybe getting some call option insurance uh, in place. And uh, be careful with those early sales that you can withstand below average yields because this could be the year. It doesn't mean it is, but it uh, could be. Have options become a big marketing tool for farmers? Well, uh, I think farmers are still frustrated uh, because they tend to lose money on options. So you have to get into the mindset that you're either going to use them for short-term protection, and there are a lot of tools for doing that now, or you're going to be trading them actively, or you're just going to accept that they are insurance, and it's like insurance on your house. Uh, You feel good when your house doesn't burn down, right? and you still pay the insurance. And we've been paying a lot of attention to the reports out of Brazil. They keep lowering the soybean crop. What are you seeing down there? Well, it looks like it's going to be even even smaller uh, than uh, the Brazilian Ag Ministry uh, forecast earlier this week. And uh, the officials down there said when they put out their next numbers in March, they expect the forecast to be down again. So uh, the crop's getting smaller. So that's good news. It it really isn't going to increase our exports uh, potential a whole lot, uh, simply because there are uh, still huge supplies uh, available around the world. And uh, Brazil still has has a lot of soybeans to sell. In that recent government report showing on-farm and off-farm storage, any surprises in that for you? Well, uh, every state is up compared to last year for soybeans except for Missouri. Uh, The eastern uh, corn belt has more corn than last year uh, still in storage uh, than the western corn belt. Uh, But uh, the basis patterns for both crops are fairly weak, Uh, particularly soybeans. We've seen the average basis about a buck under futures uh, nationwide, which uh, I think has made it difficult for farmers to uh, wrap their heads around selling. But when you look at adding in uh, the market facilitation uh, program payments onto the sales they made at higher prices, most people that I've spoken to this winter, and I ask it at all the meetings I've done, either raise your hand if you're going to make a profit on soybeans with those MFP payments, and most of the hands go up. There has been a, well, you did the first survey, but you have a second one coming up now on acreage planting? Right. USDA will uh, hopefully release uh, their first survey of farmer intentions on March 29th, uh, so uh, we'll put out results of our next survey uh, a week before that, and we'll start surveying growers first week of March. 
And um, uh, again, it'll, it'll be interesting to see just how things have changed. Um, one thing about uh, soybeans, uh, farmers, I think, may be encouraged to plant uh, soybeans because uh, they cost less money and they also have less downside potential if we have good crops again and low prices. Uh, whereas corn, you have more upside potential, uh, but you all, it can also it costs a lot of money to put in, and so it, it increases your potential for losses. Hardly a day goes by when I report markets. I don't start by saying optimism on the China-U.S. trade talks today, and then the next day, no, no optimism. It's an up-and-down day. How can you possibly do any trading or hedging in that? Well, and when you look at the uh, price charts, they kind of reflect the good cop, bad cop statements that we've been getting out of Washington and also Beijing. Uh, the, the trade ranges have, are, are narrowing, and we've been trading in tighter and tighter bands, and that typically means that when you get a breakout, it's going to be a pretty big breakout. We just don't know if it's going to be to the upside or the downside, but the charts would indicate uh, that uh, because we've had a series of uh, higher lows and mostly higher highs, that's a bullish pattern. So uh, you would think that when the breakout comes, it, it will give us some selling opportunities in the spring. From what you see in the export pattern, are there uh, situations that uh, we're finding other homes for U.S. soybeans that uh, China isn't taking? Well, yeah, the, the, the rest of the world uh, is taking our soybeans, but the total inspections are still down 35% uh, because we didn't get that big surge after harvest. So we're spreading them out uh, more throughout the marketing year. Uh, but uh, we have a long way to go. Uh, we're down something like 500 million bushels in terms of the lost business to China so far. It's very difficult to make that up. There have been years where we have seen Brazilian soybeans come into the eastern part of the United States because of transportation costs. Is that still happening? Uh, unless somebody, uh, uh, there's a real unusual situation where somebody is going to deadhead a ship back and it, it, it just pays them to, uh, to load it up and send us some soybeans. The price differential uh, before freight uh, you know, you know, would indicate that that's, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but uh, if uh, where it could happen perhaps is meal, uh, because the meal market has been pretty hot. Uh, Argentina had a bad crop uh, last year, and they're the world's largest exporter of soy products. So our uh, our uh, soybean meal exports have been strong, and now the soybean soybean oil market is starting to pick up a little bit as well. So you know you could see it maybe in meal. Uh, perhaps if uh, the market gets out of whack. So we get planting intentions from USDA the end of March, and then we get the acreage actually planted the end of June? Well, uh, yeah, the uh, end of June, that's typically when we get that uh, that acreage number, although that's based on the survey that's done in the first week of June or so. So there are always some acres that they don't get, particularly for soybeans. Uh, but uh, those are kind of the two big milestones. And then uh, we also get the crop progress reports. Reports will start up nationwide first week of uh, of uh, April, and that's one thing the wheat market has missed is because normally we would be getting updates at the end of every month during the winter for most of the winter wheat uh, producing states that would give us an idea of how that crop is faring. And after the polar vortex and all the flooding that we've seen from the Delta up through the Ohio River Valley, uh, the winter wheat crop may not be in a very good shape, but the only state that's really uh, reported anything so far is Texas. 
We talk a great deal about China and the U.S., but there's also some trade situations between the European Union and the U.S. affecting what we can do. Well, you know, that's kind of the next, I think, big big trade negotiation is going to be with, with Europe. Uh, and the EU has indicated that they don't want agriculture to even be on the table. Uh, so, uh, so that could be the sticking point that, that really uh, causes di- uh, disruption there. Uh, first, they're going have to have to get, uh, get done with uh, Brexit. We're going to have to get yeah. done with China. So I think we may be talking about that this summer. And as we look to Asia, Japan is a pretty good corn market for us. Yeah, we're, we're continuing to, to sell corn to uh, Japan, uh, some to South Korea. Mexico remains the dominant buyer of uh, U.S. corn, however. And that's why getting, uh, getting the follow-up to NAFTA done was so, so important, just to make sure that we keep that corn moving. Well, you've got a lot of work to do between now and the time we finish planting this crop. So you'll go to work on the next survey when? Uh, first week of March. Okay. And then we'll watch for it March 22nd. March 22nd. Okay. Bryce, as always, a pleasure having you join us with your expertise on the markets. Bryce Knorr, Farm Futures Magazine. We're at two minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. A reminder, Monday is a market holiday. We'll observe President's Day here in the United States, and markets will be closed. So the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange will not be trading until Tuesday. But on Monday, Deputy Secretary of Agriculture Steve Sensky will be in Schomburg to deliver the keynote address at the Grain and Feed Association of Illinois Annual Convention and Trade Show. That will be at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center Hotel. And, of course, at the end of the week, the USDA will hold its largest gathering to discuss markets and crops. That's the Agricultural Forum conducted annually by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It will be next door to Washington, D.C., and it'll run two days, February 21 and 22. So a lot continues to be done. Oh, when we start trading on Tuesday... March wheat will be at five dollars four and a quarter cents a bushel. March corn at three seventy four and three quarters. March soybeans at nine oh seven and a half. That's where they closed on Friday. And in livestock futures trade Tuesday, we'll start the week with May lean hogs at sixty eight dollars forty five cents a hundredweight. They gained eighty seven cents a hundredweight on Friday. February live cattle will start the week at $126.62 and March feeder cattle at $142.60. So markets closed Monday, but open for regular trading on Tuesday. Well, that's our time this morning. Our thanks to Brett Jackson for engineering everything we've done with you this morning. Thanks to you for listening here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.